before we get started, we want to just say a quick prayer. Dear God, we just thank you right now for this food that we're about to receive. Let it be a nourishing and strengthening to us both naturally and spiritually. Now, God, open our hearts to your word, a word that passes swiftly and faithfully from the ear to the heart and from the heart to the life. Amen. The word of the Lord today is coming from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. And I am reading the NRSV version, um, very popular passage of scripture. Um, but we want to look at that today. That's where we feel led to go. And so it reads as follows. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me around all around them. There were very many lying in the valley and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lie sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. You shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from all the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Some versions say a vast army. But either way, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I read an article, a news article online yesterday about how morgues in the state of New York are being inundated with dead bodies because of the virus that's going around. And uh, usually they would allow up to 30 days for family members to claim that they're their deceased loved ones. However, that window has now been shortened to just 14 days. After that, these people are being buried in mass grave sites. Uh, reading this story, I could not help but think of Ezekiel chapter 37. And for today, I want to speak from the subject, the spirit of life and the church in a culture of death. The spirit of life and the church in a culture of death. Amen. I know right now we as a nation and all over the globe are sheltering in place primarily to save our lives, um, especially our own lives and the lives of those that we love. Um, but if we were, but if, but what if we as the church are supposed to be doing more? 
What if we as a church are supposed to be doing more at this time? Um, um, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later today. And while I am glad that the world in general and this country in particular, at least for this moment, seems to be focused on protecting and saving life, I know that most likely it's just for this moment because all too often we are quick to forget um, how to properly value life once things get back to, you know, things get better, right? And we know that at some point things will get better. The coronavirus will be de defeated at some point um, and folks will likely return to loving and clinging to death. Not life, but clinging and loving death. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, well, it wasn't too long ago, and I'm old enough to remember um, a society that was fascinated by death. Indeed, death. Um, a soft survey of the social media landscapes reveals just how mesmerized people are with and by death. Death has become the thing that entertains us. We have downloaded death onto our smartphones and laptops. And music in general, and gangster rap in particular, is laced with messages that inject the poisons of this culture of death that it thrives upon. This culture of death thrives upon the music um, that is, is out there in the industry um, today. And um, it's, 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 you know, there's so many songs out there that we could point to that would make this example. But uh, some songs that came to my mind, is, and I went back to research and looked at it, some, some older songs, but you know, that, that, that culture still persists. Uh, song titles that are available for public consumption include uh, a song called Cop Killer, by the gangster rap group Body Count and NWA some years ago were famous for a song called F the Police and no the F does not stand for forgive um, life through this music has be, been desacralized and this venom is also active in other mediums this, this, venom, this venom is just spreading throughout the nation and throughout the world and it uses oftentimes different media platforms to spread and so we can also look at the music industry um, how it is consistently introducing films which features death as the main motif or character um, and production companies spend a lot of money um, making these movies and they often amass millions of dollars every year in this pursuit to campaign for death the movie final destination which chronicles the spirit of death enacting revenge and collecting the souls of young people who thought they had escaped its grip, budgeted $23 million. In North America uh, theaters, um, the movie premiered at the number three spot and it ranked in over three, I mean, $10 million in its opening weekend. Okay, $10 million in its opening weekend. And so we can see how the very way of death has become the way of life. And so the death that now resides in our culture is so overwhelming and sinister that this culture of death has caused an, a numbing effect uh, within the creature which was made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God, uh, which is always about life, but um, we have become so... Um, so entertained and mesmerized and numb by by death that it's just spreading like crazy um, and to the point that we have actually become 
desensitized by death. Um, even before this outbreak of the current pandemic and in a post 9-11, post Hurricane Katrina and post Columbine world, certainly there are those who would say that they have seen so much disease, dread and despair in our world that death no longer has an effect on them. Okay, they've, they've essentially become numb and desensitized to it. Um, and consequently, oftentimes people feel powerless against the forces that resist life within the culture and unconsciously begin to lovingly cling to death by tattooing its trademarks on their bodies and advertising them on their clothing. Uh, some people feel as though, though these forces have driven them into a state of paralysis and they feel as though they can no longer move against the culture, right? We talk about being countercultural, but some people feel like they cannot even be countercultural to this culture of death. Um, and to this end, they are gripped by death, and so they resign to living beneath life. And unfortunately, consumed by death, they make their peace with the underside of life. And what's the result of that? Uh, to be sure, physical death is not the only reality uh, of death in our culture. But there's also this living dead that can happen to you. There's this living death that can happen to you. Um, this death occurs when we find ourselves in the heat of the battle and we feel as though we, can just, we just can't take life anymore. Um, it is during these dark nights that the very caring capacity of our souls is exhausted and we start to drop out of life altogether. All right. And so right now, friends, especially as we are stuck in our homes and, and self-isolating and, and all of this stuff because of what's going on, we have to fight now more than ever to resist this, uh, this, this desire, this temptation to drop out of life altogether. Okay. Because, uh, my friends, when a culture of death is allowed to persist, marriages, families, children, communities, our personal health, all fall as casualties of non-resistance. And see, tragically, sometimes we give up on even more than this. Uh, more and more men and women are willing to give up on the very promises of God. And as a result, we give up on our healing. We give up on our deliverance. We give up on trying to live holy for God. And yes, we even give up on our desire to be used of God. These are just some of the ways that we can become the living dead if we're not careful. However, there are other symptoms. Our hearts are sick. Our imaginations are killed. And we surrender to the very powers of death. The world is filled with suicide and drug addiction and homicide. You see random acts of violence and genocide. There's rampant sexual perversion and fratricide, which choke the pulse of our community. Consequently, the very life, the very life that is given to the creature by the spirit of God is disregarded. And we fall prey to the spirit of this culture of death that we're talking about. Accordingly, the world that God has not ceased to love is sick unto death and is in critical condition and due to our brokenness as instituted by the first Adam this is the state of our world and yet there is hope my friends yes indeed there is hope this prevailing encroachment 
of death in our times is not the first time. It's not the first instant of an assault of on life and hope. In the pericope of Ezekiel 37, the prophet Ezekiel, after being transported by the Spirit of God, lifted up his eyes within a culture of death. Similar to our predicament, death was everywhere. And it is in an open cemetery that the prophet of God is carried by the hand of God to teach us a very important lesson about the ministry of raising the dead. Nearly 600 years before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the people of Israel found themselves living within a culture of death and in need of a community resurrection. Indeed, they were hopeless and they were helpless and in desperate need of a word of life from God. Previously to this point, God's chosen people had lived in Jerusalem, the very city of God. Now they were living as exiles down by the rivers of Babylon. For the psalmist tells us that it was down by the rivers of Babylon where the people of God cried out to their God as they remembered their home in Zion. You can find that in Psalm 30, 137 and 1. And not only had Israel been carried away to Babylon by the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar. At his command, his troops had come to Jerusalem and plundered the holy city. Additionally, the Babylonians destroyed the very temple of the Almighty God. The destruction of the temple, coupled with being exiled, had a devastating effect upon the captive Israelites. They struggled to make sense of their strange new world and the events that led them there. And how many know that we are living in a strange new world right now, amen? In their eyes, perhaps God was dead or had abandoned them or simply no longer cared about their situation. Well, whatever the cause, whatever the case, uh, the people had very little hope of survival. And consequently, Israel resigned to the powers of death. For they had dry bones and they had given up on all hope of salvation. Surely the captives were in desperate need of a word from God. And so God sends his prophet Ezekiel among this community of the hurt. And God allows him to get very up close and personal with their grief, essentially becoming an exile himself. Ezekiel feels their pain as he witnesses Israel's despair. He also senses their distrust. He hears the cold silence of their death. He smells the stench of death while seeing the dryness of their bones. And after witnessing perhaps all of the death that any one person could stomach, God asked the prophet a question. He says, son of man, can these bones live? Put that another way. The Lord wants to know if Ezekiel thinks that there is any chance at all that the dead that lay before him might be able to make a comeback and see what, what you what you, I hope you realize today is that the church has to answer this same question at this precise moment in time. God wants to know. God wants to know what we think about the death in our communities. God wants to know after we have assessed the death in our families, in our streets, on the news around the world. If we really believe that resurrection is a possibility 
And the church's answers, like uh, Prophet Ezekiel's, must be, Oh Lord, God, you know. That's, the, that's what our answer has to be. Um, such a humble and faithful answer prompted God to give unto his servant a word of life and commissions him to prophesy into a culture of death. My friends, this is the highest vocation of the church. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the church has been given a ministry of raising the dead. Yes, in the raising up of this community, of the hopeless, God reveals through this text that resurrection has always been the priority of God, even before the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Even in a culture of death, always know this, life is just a word away. Bless God with me right now uh, for that resurrecting power. We thank God for resurrecting power. Life is always just one word away. When we, the church, attempt to engage and conquer the ills of our society without relying upon the Holy Spirit to fight, we fail to realize and recognize the true enemy uh, and the nature of this battle that we're up against. See, our true identity comes from the Holy Spirit not from this culture of death that we live in. And yet we have a mission to serve in its domain. Okay, we have a mission as a church to serve in this world, in this culture of death. That's where God is calling us and leading us to operate. Instead of lining the pockets of the political elite, we should live in a constant posture of epiclesis that's calling upon the Holy Spirit. True, the Holy Spirit is always here. He's already there. He's hovering above the chaos that's everywhere. But the Christian church must petition our Lord of life to actively reorient this amalgamated mess instituted as normal in a culture of death. We, we, sometimes it just looks like death is normal. Death is normal. This culture of death, people loving death and clinging to death and glorizing death, right? That's not normal. Uh, indeed, when when invited and invoked, the Holy Spirit raises up what was fallen, saves what was lost and rebuilds the people of God. That's what we need today. And here's my question to us as a church. Has the church evolved or dissolved into a powerless collection of individuals driven by a save oneself mentality? Have we? Is that what's going on? I mean, because I know we all trying to shelter in place. We all trying to save our own lives. But as a church in this moment, uh, can we look at ourselves and say, are we focused on having a, a save oneself mentality? Because all too common, the body of Christ has touted the proclamation that we are in this world, but we are not of this world as a license to turn a blind eye to the menacing grip of a culture sickened unto death. In this sense, there is an apparent prevailing attitude in the Christian church of not wanting to stick our nose in the world's business. You don't know what I'm talking about. Let me let me give you some examples. Consider some consider the cases of uh, child abuse uh, or domestic violence. Hmm? Many believers have been eyewitnesses to women and children suffering at the hands of oppressive spouses and parents. And instead of being active participants with the spirit in the world, Christians have frequently chosen to sit idly by on the sidelines in the safety of our beautiful church buildings and personal homes. 
And then when then then when we hear a word of death reported in the news, neighbors who neither said nor did anything uh, to prevent it are quick to respond. Oh, he or she seemed like such a nice person. I'm shocked. I can't believe that this has happened in our neighborhood. But if we are paying more attention. We could have heard the cries. If we were paying more attention, we could have seen the abuse and the neglect that was going on. And we could have said something. We could have did something. But a lot of times we don't want to get involved because it's not happening at our house. And so we don't get our we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to invite any type of drama into our lives. And so we just sit back and we don't say anything. But this stance or their lack thereof of a stance is contrary to the convicting call of Dr. King. In his April 16th, 1963 letter uh, from a Birmingham jail, he pronounced injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. OK, um, and see, we know as the children of God, we know that we are the children of God uh, and we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one right now. But the church cannot be silent. We know that, but we can't be silent. More expressively, um, I would say that we don't have the right to allow or make other people suffer for our lack of conviction. Okay, uh, see, because we are intimately linked to the rest of created order, even in its current state of utter chaos. Okay, if not all of the people of the world, the church should certainly be weeping aloud. Um, like Ezekiel, we must exhibit trust in the Lord of life and prophesy. That is our role. That is our role at this hour as the church. Because lest we forget, the church is an instrument of the Holy Spirit. And our community exists to serve the Spirit in the Spirit's mission to the world. And this often will require the church to be stretched beyond her limits and her self-imposed boundaries. Um, and one way the spirit does this is by helping the church to resist the temptations to settle for the status quo or to accept and adjust to, as Israel did, to divisions and forms of oppression or to resign to, its, to resign itself to a diminished vitality. We, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us and to and to call us out and, and to, to bring us into these places, these these dry bone places, these communities where people are hurting and, and sick and suffering. We got to be willing to go there. We got to be willing to to speak there. That's what that's what the prophet was was assigned to do was to use his voice. Um, and he's used the voice of God and used the words of God. God gave him what to say. That's the thing. Sometimes I think we put too much on ourselves, but the, but the Lord is going to, he's going to give us what to say and how to say it and when to say it. We just got to be willing to, to go and say it and do it. Right. Uh, many times though, we do not make ourselves available to the divine guidance of God because we fail to examine our own motives. We, we fail to sanctify our desires and we fail to clarify our goals. Ultimately, this can be viewed as an effort to steal credit from God for revitalization. Uh, what I mean, oftentimes we want to get the credit. Uh, but in the culture of death, individuals or groups who attempt to rescue uh, inhabiting victims and consumers of death will ultimately falter and fail short. 
if the empowering um, agency of the Holy Spirit is not actively employed. We, we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. We can't change the world. We can't change our families. We can't change our communities. We, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. And it's not because we own the Holy Spirit like a genie, right? That's not what it, that's not what it is. But because the Holy Spirit lives in and empowers the church, we have the voice to speak life. Because where the church is, there too is the Spirit of God. We have to know that. Um, and as the spirit leads, the church must actively seek out the dry bones in our communities so that we can inoculate them with a word of life from the Lord of life. That's what we have to do. It is the church's duty um, to discern which elements of our culture at large needs to be affirmed, baptized, purified or condemned. Um, that is the church's role. And therefore, we cannot operate with an out of sight out of my mentality when death is clearly all around us. The culture of death can be toppled, my friends, only when we prophesy as commanded of God. When we're commanded by God to speak, we have to speak. We have to prophesy um, and, and speak life into dead situations um, when God calls us to do so. OK, uh, we, we don't need another political uprising. We don't. We, we don't need another conqueror on the scene. We don't what we we don't need any of that. What we need right now is a special word that will burn within our hearts and give us this direction from above. We need a word from the Lord. That's all we need. Just one word from the Lord. Amen. 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 Uh, now, listen, beyond the coronavirus that's going around, which is a threat to all of us. I don't know uh, what other ways death is trying to encroach upon your life personally. Maybe drug addiction, maybe abuse, uh, maybe depression, maybe uh, failing relationships. Um, however, I do know that because of the power of God and because of Jesus's own resurrection, which we're celebrating today, uh, death does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Today can be a day that you have an encounter with the divine Lord. Okay, and so we just keep on trusting, keep trusting God, keep hoping. Um, why? Because hope, what we saw in this text today, um, and, and, and what we and what we can see in our own lives is that hope has the power to to defy, to disrespect, and devein death. Okay, we talked about death that has having this venom, right, like a snake, but. But but hope has the power to devein death and render death a snaggatooth demon. All right. When I was a kid, you know, if somebody called you uh, and they want to talk bad about you and you done lost some teeth. You know, they'll throw that in there. Oh, snaggatooth. And then they'll fill in the blank. But if we have the right hope, if we have holy hope, we have the power to render death a snaggatooth demon. OK, we, we don't we don't have to we don't have to uh, resign to the power of death, to the culture of death that is all around us. And like I said, I'm so glad that in this moment that people are focused on life and preserving life. But a, a lot of times when things get better, OK, a lot of times people will go back and you if you're watching, if you're paying attention, it's already happening. Right. The people that are in high power, they're taking these uh, the, the fact that we're all sheltered in place and that the economy is bad all over the world. They're taking this as an opportunity. If you're paying attention to, uh, to to further line their pockets 
and to and to further uh, abuse people who are uh, considered less than they are. Okay, and so it's already happening where uh, we we look like we're turning the corner and things are getting better, and we're starting to see them do things which uh, really prop up death. Okay, and so just keep on paying attention, keep on praying, um, and, and, and we'll be just fine. But I, I never like to close a sermon uh, without offering Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know or don't have a relationship with Jesus, what, what better day than Resurrection Day to accept him? Amen. Uh, let this be your moment. Let this be your opportunity to give your life to Christ. Um, now more than ever, my friends, we have no idea of what waits for us just outside of our very doors. Um, but by entering into a relationship with Jesus and accepting him as your Lord and Savior today, uh, you can rest assured of being raised up one day to live in paradise with Jesus. Uh, amen. Uh, please pray with me. You can repeat after me. Lord Jesus, for far too long I have kept you out of my life. But I acknowledge right now that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I close the door when I clearly hear you knocking. And so by faith, I receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to the earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart right now, Lord Jesus, and be my savior forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, you are saved right now. I don't care what the enemy tries to tell you. I don't care what any of your old friends or cronies will try to come back and tell you um, and try to make you doubt uh, your faith walk with God. If you prayed that prayer and you believed it in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you are saved today. OK, and so you walk into your your new reality. And if you need help with that, you know, feel free to reach out to the church or to myself. And we'll be glad to help you to, to get on the right foot with Lord with the Lord and stay on the right path. Amen. And so um, wherever you are today, I want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you for much, so much for sharing. Um, again, we um, we just we're so glad that you're partnering with us, that you're praying with us. Uh, we're praying for you and I hope that you're praying for this ministry. Um, and we just pray again that you share it with someone. Uh, we, if it was a good movie, you would share it. I saw a lot of people uh, last night watching the, the Clark sister story online. And that was I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I, I will um, take a chance. But if it was a great movie, uh, we would have no problem sharing it. Um, and so I ask that you do the same thing with this word. Share the word of God with your friends, with your families, with your neighbors, with your enemies, uh, with the people in your house. Let them hear the word of God um, so, that, so that the word of God can go forth through all nations amen we love you uh, have a great day may the lord continue to shine upon you all right we love you god bless you take care <laughs>